Hey, good morning, everybody. As usual, it is so good to be with you this morning, worship together today. Those of you online also, so good to have you with us. As Pastor Chase said, we are completing our two-week series on prayer. Last week, Pastor Jason uh, taught us out of the book of Philippians. This week, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. So if you would please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. As you're going there, I would like to ask you a question. Have you ever heard anyone uh, say something like, I pray enough. I am prayed up. I have met my, my prayer quota. I am, I'm good to go. I truly pray enough. Have you ever heard anyone say anything like that? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, probably not. Probably not, right? There's this sense that we don't pray enough. Even for the people who have a very active, vibrant prayer life, they seem to still think, wow, I just, I need more time in prayer. And the people who don't pray at all or just maybe very little, they don't, they don't feel like they pray enough. Some people's entire prayer life is is in the car as they narrowly miss an accident. And they're like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And at that time, they're sincere probably, right? I mean, they are sincerely giving thanks, right, that they didn't get an accident. But that might be the entirety of their prayer life that week. There's a wide spectrum. Just sitting in this room, I'm sure some of us spend a lot of time in prayer. Some of us spend very little time in prayer. And as I started thinking about why that is, I'm thinking maybe some people feel they're just bad at prayer. Just, they just think, I'm just bad at prayer. And I started thinking about that idea. Can we be bad at prayer? I mean, at its core, prayer is pretty simple. You're just talking to God. You're just having a conversation with God. Something like singing, right, or Baseball or piano, we can be bad at that, right? I mean, you can get, some of you, because I've heard some of you sing, you can get all the coaching you want. <laughs> you can take all the classes you want. Some of us are just bad singers. For those of you who stand next to me on a Sunday morning, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just a bad singer. But for those of us who are truly interested in praying, can we be bad prayers? I don't think so. I think that we can be uh, maybe un, maybe not taught, maybe not shown, maybe new. But for those of us who truly want, want to, to have a vibrant, successful prayer life, I don't think we can be bad prayers. That to me just doesn't register because God created this wonderful spirit spiritual event for his followers to be a part of called prayer. He's not going to make us bad at it. That just that goes against his character, who he, want, who he is, what he wants. But some of us, I think maybe we're just, we just haven't been taught how to pray, shown how to pray. Um, so this morning as we're going through this letter or this, this prayer, in the letter of Ephesians, this is my desire. That for the next few minutes as we look at Paul's prayer, that we take out some, some elements of this prayer. 
and that we insert it into our own prayer life. Because my hope, my dream, my prayer is that as we do that, as we become familiar with some of these elements that Paul included in his prayer, that it will infuse in us more excitement and more confidence in our prayer life. I need it. I'm sure most everyone needs it. More passion, more desire, more confidence in our prayer life. Now, just before we get into it, let me say something else. Paul, when he was writing this letter and this prayer, this, these verses to the church at Ephesus, the Christians at Ephesus, he wasn't sitting there thinking, man, 2,000 years from now, churches around the world are going to be reading my prayer for the Ephesians and that this should be a model for them. Right? That, that wasn't going on. This prayer that we see Paul was praying for the Christians at Ephesus, this is a prayer from a man that just, it just naturally flowed out of a man who was madly in love with his Savior. That's what this is. So as God has given us some time this morning to look at this prayer, my desire is we can go through here. And listen, friends, I'm barely scratching the, the, the surface of these verses this morning. Uh, I was looking at it going, man, there's a lot of it. I mean, this could be a month. These verses could be a month. I'm going to do it in an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. So Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Follow along as I start reading. Verse 14. Some of your Bibles have it titled, A Prayer for the Ephesians. Maybe some of it titles it, Paul's Prayer for the Ephesians. It starts in verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow, what a prayer. Man, that's fantastic. Let's go back up to verse 14. It says this. For this reason I kneel before the Father. So the Bible never prescribes for us a posture that we have to have in our prayer life. The Bible doesn't tell us we have to be this way physically as we pray to God. There's lots of examples of prayer in the Bible. So we see that Abraham stood before the Lord when he prayed for Sodom, Genesis 18. 
David sat before the Lord when he prayed for his kingdom, 1 Chronicles 17. Daniel got down on his knees and prayed when he was facing the possibility of being thrown into the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6. And Jesus, Jesus fell on his face when he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane. There's no certain way we have to be physically when we pray. But I do believe that our posture when we go to God in prayer is going probably to, to be a reflection of our desperation and our intensity of our prayer life. I know that at times in my life when things are not good and I'm desperate, my posture before God in my prayer time, it changes. I'm down on my face. I'm down on my knees. It's not necessary. We aren't told we have to. But I know personally that's how it works for me. What I am most concerned about is our heart's posture. When we go to prayer, what's your heart like? What's my heart like? Do we come humbly into God's holy presence? Do we go before him and say, wow, God. I come into the presence of a holy, living, almighty, righteous God. God, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to be in your presence. But only by the gift of your son, whose death and resurrection makes it possible for me to enter your presence, do I come right now? Do we go into God's presence with a sense of awe, saying, wow, I have a chance to speak with the creator of the world? Or do we go with a sense of entitlement? thinking, well, of course, God's going to hear my prayer. I mean, it's me. I mean, come on, right? Or do we go in maybe a casual, nonchalant attitude? Well, I don't know. I got a, I got a couple minutes here on my hands. I got nothing better else to do. I just might as well pray for a couple minutes, kind of nonchalant. What is your attitude? And I've been asked myself the same question. What is my attitude as we walk into the presence of a living, holy, righteous God? So I'm going to recommend something to you this week. All right, so like if you have never prayed on your knees, actually, like, actually in a posture of kneeling before God, I'm going to challenge you to do it once or twice this week. Some of you do it regularly. Some of you are not physically able to do that. That's fine. But for those of you who, who can do that, I'm going to challenge you to do it this week. Spend some time on your knees during your prayer life. Because what it does is it has a way of reminding us who we are before the righteous, holy God. It has a way of helping us remember during our prayer, I'm in the presence of a holy God. This is what else I want you to do this week. I'm, and again, I'm challenging myself here. Go into his presence with a heart of humility. Now, friends, that's going to be hard to do 
if your prayer life is hurried. It's going to be hard to do if you're just rushing through a prayer. And this is why. Because if we go into God's presence desiring to have a heart of humility before him, it's going to take time. Because during that time, God might say, you know what? There's some sins that need confessing. That takes time. Or perhaps we go in with a spirit of humility and we just want to thank God for his provisions and just acknowledging, I can't do it, God. I can't, I can't really provide for myself. Everything I have is from your hand. That takes time to give thanks, to give praises, to acknowledge his gifts to you. It takes time. Sometimes we go in with a spirit of humility and we just want to just spend time meditating and thinking about God's God's attributes, his goodness, his love, his holiness, his righteousness, his sovereignty. That takes time. Friends, if our prayer life is hurried all the time and we're just like squeezing in prayer between the end of our favorite show at 10 o'clock and bedtime at 10.05, don't expect a spirit of humility in your prayers. I mean, that's going to create entitlement. That's going to create um, a, a very nonchalant attitude in our prayer life. So let me challenge all of us, and some of you are just fantastic at this, much better than I am. Set aside time to pray this week. And for some of you who have no prayer life, right? I mean, this is like, man, Dan, I've never really had a prayer life, right? Then start here. Set aside time this week. Be realistic, all right? Don't say, I'm going to wake up at 5 o'clock every morning, and I'm going to pray for the next hour. Man, that would be fantastic, Great. Uh, but probably not going to happen. I mean, if you never prayed before to stay awake at 5 o'clock in the morning for an hour, give me a call when you're done because I'll be waking up around 6 and let me know how it goes. Uh, but set aside time and set realistic goals. Think, you know what? 15 minutes. 15 minutes three times this week. In the morning, in the evening, over lunch, whatever. Time where you can be alone with just you and God. Set aside time for designated prayer. This is what I think is going to happen. Really. After about a week of 15 minutes, three days a week, maybe two weeks, I bet you're going to think, man, 15 minutes is not nearly enough. Because, friends, 15 minutes of prayer goes by that fast. And you're going to think, I need more days. Let's do four days. Let's do five days. I need more time. Let's do 20 minutes. Let's do 30. Let's do 40 minutes. And you're going to start increasing it because you're going to develop this habit of prayer. That's going to allow you to come to God with a spirit of humility, to allow him to work in you, to give thanks to him, to focus on his attributes, to, to confess some sins that you got in your life that need to be dealt with. Start realistic. But just start. Just start. Don't be ashamed. This is a no guilt zone here. This isn't about guilt. This is about each of us helping each other become more diligent in worshiping and praying to a God that we love dearly. Point number one this morning. God desires humility when we come to him in prayer. Point number one. Let's keep going. So I noticed something as I was as I was reading these verses over the past 
couple weeks getting ready for this message. I noticed that a lot of what I pray for is not in this prayer. It was interesting to me. Think about Paul. Paul is a Roman prisoner. That's not a good place to be. He's probably chained, he's probably chained to a Roman prison guard. Uh, he's probably been beat. Uh, times are tough for Paul as he's writing this. And do you notice what he doesn't pray for? He doesn't pray for freedom. And he doesn't pray for health. And no doubt, Paul's lived a rough life. I'm sure he's got more than his fair share of physical ailments. He's probably got rashes and sores and cuts on his ankles and his, and his chains from the shackles. I'm sure there's a lot of physical things he'd like to ask God's help with. He doesn't pray for his freedom. He doesn't pray for his health. And he's writing to the Ephesians. Probably many of them are slaves. He doesn't pray for their freedom. He doesn't pray for their health. He doesn't pray for their success. What's he pray for? He prays that they will be strong in their inner being. What is the inner being? It's our, it's our spirit. Right? It's the core of who we are. Paul's prayer doesn't sound like so many of my prayers. Does, does Paul's prayer sound like your prayers? Friends, Great Oaks Community Church does not own an organ. But man, do we have a lot of organ recitals at Great Oaks Community Church. God, please take care of Bill's stomach. Please take care of Jim's lungs. Please take care of Susie's eyes. Please take care of Tom's heart. It's an organ recital. It's just like, wow, we spend all our time praying for health. And that's good. Why? Because we want to live. Right? But, wow, do we spend all our time praying for health? Hear me out. Hear me out. Let me be clear. I think it's biblical and proper to pray for our health and someone else's health. It's good. We see it in the Bible. We see a few instances where people are praying for the health of someone else. It's not a lot, but it's in there. James chapter 5 actually tells us to call the elders and to, pre and to be prayed for, for our health. It's good. It's proper. It's biblical. Do it. And if I'm in the hospital sometime next week, the week after, please be praying for my health. <laughs> but wow, do we spend all our time praying for health? Praying for comfort? Praying for success? Praying for the outer being? Or do we pray for the inner being? For the spirit. Listen to Paul's prayer. I pray 
that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Wow, that's what I'm talking about. Pray that for me. Do you pray spiritual prayers? Friends, our families, our children, our neighbors, ourselves, our spouses, we have deep, deep spiritual needs. Wow. Friends, our bodies are going to die. Our spirit lives forever. Are you praying spiritual prayers? Are you praying for the spirits, for the inner beings of your children, your spouse, your family, your friends? What are you praying for? How do you spend your time praying? God. God, help my son. Fill him up with your spirit. Move in his life in such a way that he will live wholeheartedly committed to you at all cost. No matter what the world may say or do, may my son live for you. Let no obstacle stand in his way. Fill him up, Lord, with your spirit. Do you pray for the spirit or are we praying that Johnny makes the baseball team? I want Johnny to make the baseball team. I do. And I want Susie, Susie to make good grades. And that's good. We can pray for that. If it's important for our children, if it's important for our wives, if it's important for our husbands, our coworkers, it should be important to us. We can pray for them in those things. But wow, do we spend all our time praying that way or do we pray spiritual prayers? God, take care of my wife as she's going to work today. Fill her up. Move in her life with your spirit. May the fruit of the Holy Spirit so be, be so evident in her life that her coworkers can't help but notice she's a follower of Jesus Christ. May people come into your kingdom because of her testimony today. Please, God, move in her spirit. Spiritual prayers. Pray for the physical. It's important. But man, do we spend all our time there? Or do we pray for the deep inner parts of our soul? Our spirits. Do we pray spiritual prayers? Man, I can, I can spend a lot of time praying for people's health, and I do. And it's an honor to, to pray for people and their health and their physical struggles. I, I, do, I sometimes make a list back on my desk, and I'm writing out people's names as I find about them. I, I need to do it more, but there's, there's sometimes a list back there, and I'm praying for people. Right? We have family and friends with, with crises and, and things that are going on in, the, in, their, in their outer self. Man, pray for them. But let's not spend all our time praying for the physical, the world, the, 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 the things that aren't eternal. Let's pray for some, some, some spiritual prayers. All right. The second point I'm making this morning is this. God desires our spiritual prayers, not just physical prayers. 
Let's go on to verse 17. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So as I was studying for this message again, I, I found out something interesting here. And that's that word dwell. It's an interesting word. Because in the original Greek language, it carries with it this meaning of feeling at home. Feeling at home. Not just to exist somewhere. So often I use the word dwell like, like, like I'm, just, I'm just there, right? This word means feeling at home. And Paul's praying that the Ephesians' heart will be a place where Christ feels at home. Think about that. A, ba- a place where Christ feels at home. So this is a good time for a, for a home inspection. A spiritual home inspection. Now you all should consider yourself blessed. Because you just have to do this inspection one time this morning. I've been preparing for this message for a while. I've had to give myself this inspection over and over again. I'm inspected out. But let me ask you a question. Is your heart a place where Christ feels at home? Is your heart a place where Christ feels at home? Or does Jesus, when he gets up and moves around your heart, is he constantly bumping his head into that same old annoying sin? Is he stubbing his toe on these these sins of pride and jealousy, lust, pornography, hate, profanity? It goes on and on and on. You don't need me to list all the sins. We're well familiar with them. Perhaps you've relegated Jesus to a corner of your spiritual house in your heart, saying, Jesus, you are welcome here. This is your spot right over here, Jesus. You are welcome to my house, my spiritual home, but not that room. And not that room. And not that closet over there. And definitely not that computer. Jesus, I love you. I'm glad you're here. On Sunday mornings, I am, I'm thrilled that we're together. But Jesus, you have full reign of my house right over there. Friends, if that's our approach, we will never, ever, ever know what Paul is talking about in these verses. When he says, may you grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. We will never know it. We will never know how great his love is for us if we keep Jesus in the corner of our life and don't allow him full range we will never experience what he's talking about later in, this, in these verses. Able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. No, we won't let God go there because there's rooms and closets that we don't want him to touch. Because that's mine. 
that's my little private area. And I don't want anyone to deal with it, touch it, or even know it's there. Friends, we don't keep secrets from God. We may think we do. We don't. He knows behind every door, every computer screen, every closet, but he's waiting. He is waiting for you and for me to come in and say, Jesus, I know you're in my heart, but you don't have all of it. I need you to have all of it. I'm doing it on my own, and it's not going very well. And here's the beautiful, beautiful part, friends. Let me say it like this. If your theology means that you've got to get your house cleaned up, everything's got to be perfect in your life before you allow God to come in, then close your Bibles, forget it, be done. That's not how it works. Think about it. God God, know we, God, God knows we can't do that. That's why he came. That's why he sent his son to earth who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world, rose from the grave because he looks at me and he says, Dan, there's no way you get that mess cleaned up on your own. It is beyond what you can do. But Dan, I don't just want to be in your heart. I want to control your heart. I want to be all. I want to be in all of your heart. And Dan, when you get to that point, you'll begin to understand how wide and long and high and deep my love for you is. Dan, when you get to that point, you will see me do more than you can ever imagine. But God, if you keep, but Dan, if you keep me in the corner, man, I'm here. But you, you don't hardly know me. And so when we ask God, God, come, have all my heart all my future, all my pastimes, all my relationships, have all of me, God. You know what he does? He begins to work. He does the heavy lifting. He's going to ask that we be there with him. And sometimes he might ask us to do some things that are tough, but never mistake it. It's him at work. He will do the work. It's only through his power, and we just go along with him. It's a beautiful thing to allow God to be in charge. Man, there are days and there are battles. But man, God's spirit at work for those who are truly surrendered to him is a beautiful thing. How at home in your heart is Jesus Christ? How at home is he? Man, I hope everyone's sitting here saying, Dan, he's got so much in my heart. He's got he's to do an addition to make more room. That would be awesome.
I'm going to wrap things up in just a couple minutes. Some of you here are saying, Dan, I've never asked him. I've never asked him into my heart. Friends, my prayer, my deep desire for you today is this is that day that you begin an eternal relationship with your creator, your heavenly father, who died on the cross through his son for your, for your sins. You can do it right now. You can, you can just bow your heart where you are and say, God, God, I'm a sinner. You know it and I know it. And I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Take control of my life. Friends, if you make that decision today, please, please, please let us know. Stop by Connection Central. Send an email to one of the pastors here. Do something so we can pray with you and celebrate with you. So that we can begin to equip you to live a a God-honoring life. And friends, some of you here, you made that decision a long time ago, and God's in there. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul calls them saints, right? He's, he is writing to believers, but his prayer is that these believers will allow God to feel at home in their hearts. For those of us who've been Christ followers a long time, how at home does he feel? Maybe today, you just bow and say, God, God, I've been trying to keep this from you. I've been trying to do this my way. God, I've been trying to hide this secret. Turn it over today, friends. Let them have your whole heart, your whole spiritual house. Then we will see how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I got one more thing as I wrap things up. We're going to go to verse 20 and 21. It says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why come humbly into God's presence? Why pray spiritual prayers? Why make God feel at home in your heart? It certainly benefits us. It does. But ultimately, it's for His glory. Because He deserves the glory. He made us to give Him glory. He saves us from our sins to give Him glory. We exist for the purpose of giving him glory. That is our mission, our purpose in life, to give God glory. And when we go to God in a spirit of humility, we give him glory. And when we pray spiritual prayers that he works spiritually among us, we give him glory. And when we make him, and when we make our heart a place where he feels at home, he is glorified. My prayer for you, for me, for Great Oaks today is that God will be glorified at Great Oaks as we do these things, as we live out this kind of life, as we pray with this kind of attitude. 
I'm going to read this prayer as our closing prayer today. Bow as I read, please. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.